0: Welcome to the Give to Profit podcast, the podcast that inspires business owners, entrepreneurs and leaders to turn their business into a profitable force for good. During our bi-weekly episodes, you'll hear business leaders and entrepreneurs share how they put charitable giving and social impact at the heart of their business and the many benefits that come from doing this. You can find full show notes for today's show and join our member community at givetoprofit.com where you can also sign up to receive regular business giving tips. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes and Stitcher and it would be great if you could make it easier for people to find us by leaving us a rating and review there or on Facebook. For every review we receive, we give a child in Cambodia access to a day of education. So now here's your host, business mentor, speaker, and best-selling author, Alison McKenzie. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Give to Profit podcast show. This is your host, Alison McKenzie, and I'm delighted to be with you again today. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I am so excited to be interviewing one of the co-founders of an organization I've been supporting in many ways, locally over the years. We're going to be speaking to Alice Thompson from Social Bite. Now you may have heard me talk about Social Bite quite a number of times. Last year I did Sleep in the Park last December sleeping out in temperatures as low as I think minus six it got to with about another 8,000 people in central Edinburgh and we were all coming together to help raise funds and awareness about homelessness in Scotland and over the years I have bought sandwiches from Social Bite Shops, I've used them as external caterer for events and they were the cause that I raised funds for when I launched my Give to Profit book which some of you will be aware of was a fundraising event in itself. And when I look back, I realise that while I've supported many causes over the years, social bite is just one that's just continued to compel me into action because I love what they're doing and the impact that they're having. And if I'm perfectly honest, I, even, I, even though I followed them, I don't think I realized the extent of their influence in what's happening around tackling homelessness in Scotland and being a real global pioneer in this area until I saw Alice speak at a local networking event a few weeks ago. And I knew there and then that I wanted to interview her for the show. So welcome, Alice.
1: Hi, thank you so much.
0: Oh, it's just a pleasure to have you here. It really
1: is.
0: (laughs) I I always like to start these conversations off by asking my guests to share how how have you come to be doing what you're doing today?
1: Oh wow, that's such a big question. So do you want to know how I came to do Social Byte or how or how I've gotten to where or how Social Byte has gotten to where it is now? About you.
0: Let's start (laughs) with you and then we'll go on to Social Byte.
1: Okay. Um, first of all, as well, I didn't know that you were using us for catering and stuff. That's great. <laughs>
0: yeah. Um, yeah. Whenever I do my workshops, we order in, um, yeah, your catering. fab.
1: That's awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. So I, uh, I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland. Um, the accent is probably slightly more Kent. Um, the, so yeah, I was about seven when we moved there. I moved down to Edinburgh University. Well, Queen Margaret University in Edinburgh um, in 2008, and I did two years of university before I realised that I hated academia. <laughs> um, actually, and I've gone on to realise that's not necessarily true, but certainly at the time I was rebelling against it um, a lot. So I I left university. Um, And then kind of realized that I didn't have a plan and I didn't have a job and I had been studying event management. So I found a an advert for an internship, an unpaid internship um, in Edinburgh with what was made out to be a national scale events company online. And then when I went in for the interview, I was interviewed by Josh, who is now my co-founder at Social Byte. Um, So yeah, we kind of worked together for a couple of years in events and he kind of explained to me that, yeah, it wasn't a national scale events company at all. It was just um, that he had some national scale ideas, but didn't really have any money to pay anyone. Um, so he was offering unpaid internships to event students, which was quite smart. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So he just sort of said, you know, do you want to stay and just help me um, put together this scotland ski show thing that he had planned at the secc and um see whether or not this business awards idea he had had was coming was going to come to fruition um and yeah i needed something to keep me out of trouble and and make my parents think that I knew what I was doing. So uh, (laughs) I was very happy to oblige. I said, yes, please. I'll, I'll stay here unpaid and take the tiny little bits of commission I can when we can to pay rent and stuff. And, uh, and yeah, that kind of eventually led us to social bite through the form of the Scottish business awards. That was, um, an event that was all for charity. And, um, And we ended up traveling to Bangladesh to meet with a Nobel Peace Prize winner called Professor Muhammad Yunus. Um, We wanted him to be the keynote speaker at the Scottish Business Awards. And um, the trip to Bangladesh, we ended up spending a week there visiting microfinance projects and social business, sort of as defined by Muhammad Yunus. He had... I think more than 50 social businesses that he'd set up without a single one of them. Um, he didn't have a, he wasn't like an owner of a single one of them. They were all owned by the people for the people. Um, so we were completely inspired. And I think we just thought, what are we doing trying to run a ski show to make profit when neither of us care about the ski industry in Scotland? Sorry, ski industry. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it was nothing to do with us and not, nothing to do with our passion. And this was suddenly this amazing opportunity to go, whoa, we should sell that event now that we've, I mean, we, we ran that event once and almost bankrupted ourselves and then ran it a second time. Um, And it was sort of the second time was like, go big or go home. And we managed to make a small success. I think we made about 30 grand or something, which felt like millions um, at the time. And, and so, yeah, we were able to sell that event because we had proven that it could be profitable um and that was how we set up the first ever social bite we put all of the money into the first ever social bite on rose street in edinburgh and the journey's kind of gone on and on and on since then it's grown legs and arms
0: it certainly has and for people who don't know what social bite is i mean i'm sure that that many of our scottish listeners will will know exactly what it is but for others Mm -hmm. would you like to explain what social bite started off as and what it's become
1: Yeah, sure. So, so we came back from Bangladesh, sort of bright eyed and bushy tailed with this idea of social business in our minds. And um, we said, Okay, let's set up a social business. And it's gonna, um, we had only really been made aware of two, there's two types of social business that Muhammad Yunus had defined. So one type was A business, it could be any business in the world, and it just gives its profits charity. So you pay the staff and yourself your wages, but then anything above and beyond, instead of it being for personal um, greed, it would all be for different charities or a particular charity. And then there was um, another type of social business that he defined, which was where the business in itself by existing was achieving a social objective so in that case any profit that was made by the business would get plowed back into the business so it could go and reach more areas and benefit more people so a good example of what we saw in Bangladesh um that was one of those types of social businesses where um it's trying to pump profit back into itself to expand to help more people would be um the Grameen Danone factory that we went to visit. So Danone is like a yogurt company. Most people have heard of Danone. Um, And this was their joint venture with Muhammad Yunus where they said, okay, malnourished children is a really big problem in Bangladesh. So let's make yogurt um, that's really cheap to buy. So the poorest parents could afford it, maybe a penny for a cup. And we're going to fortify all of those yogurts with all of the nutrients missing in a malnourished child to last that child for one day. So if all that parent can afford to do is get one of these yogurts per day for their child, within six months, that child is restored to full health. So that business was really inspiring to see and that's a perfect example of where any profit made by that business would get plowed back into it in order to expand it and reach more areas and help more people so we were coming back from you know bangladesh where poverty was really raw and um we were thinking okay um we want to set up a social business, but you know, in Scotland, coming back from Bangladesh where, you know, we had been staying in places where there was no electricity, no running water. Poverty was very brutal to see um, on the streets. And we were thinking Scotland doesn't have that kind of poverty. So I guess we'll just set up a business a, a, a little cafe on Rose street in Edinburgh, and we'll give all the profits to charity and that will be our social mission. Um, so that was how we started. And, and then before we knew it, we'd only been open a couple months before we realized like, hang on, there's a lot we could do here. Um, there is poverty in Scotland. It's just very different to Bangladesh, um, different end of the spectrum, but, very challenging still so we realized there were homeless people everywhere that needed to be fed so we started offering a pay it forward service so that homeless people could come in throughout the day anytime and um be served as our paying customers would be um but collecting food and water for themselves without having to pay for it um and then we realized that we should be employing homeless people as well, that they could be doing dishes, that once they had their hygiene up and um, they were ready for it, we could put them onto food and start teaching them skills with making food. And um, before we knew it, we were a couple of years down the line and um, and we were holding Events exclusively for homeless people after hours, so now the shops shut at, sorry, the shops shut at three and reopen at four exclusively for the homeless community. They come in, they sit down, they have their own services um, where they 're directed to anybody else that might be able to help them, whether that 's warm showers or clean clothes or mental health services or addiction services um, it's, social bites become like a a support center for homeless people in any city that we have a presence so that's kind of what the cafes and things do right now but we've gone on I suppose over the last year or so with the sleep in the park that you mentioned about to do um even more from there I don't know if you want me to keep talking or if if I'm just blabbing yeah no please do this is fabulous keep going (laughs) okay okay so um so last year we Kind of realized that we had this infrastructure of cafes and support system for the homeless community in in Scotland in Edinburgh, Glasgow, and Aberdeen, but we also have a central production kitchen in Livingston where we have a lot of employment for vulnerable people too um, and then we sort of thought what 's around us um, at the moment. Um, We, I suppose the next step that felt natural for us was we're we're employing people, we're feeding people, we're supporting people from homeless backgrounds. The next thing that felt natural to do was to house people. Um, So the idea of the Social Bite Village was born and that launches this month, um, that launches in May. And that's for 20 people coming from uh, homelessness into a supported accommodation area um but yeah what was really interesting about that was that when we came out with the social bike village idea the the rest of the homelessness sector actually um sort of came back to us and said this isn't really what we would have had in mind this is really good for a certain type of people that need a certain type of support a really community-based support but essentially they were saying this isn't what the rest of the sector really think is going to solve homelessness. Um, so that kind of propelled social bite on to a commissioner study. We asked Harriet Watt University to look into. I think the study was called um, "Eradicating Core Homelessness in Scotland's Four Largest Cities." So in that study, we were really looking for what is the cause of homelessness and what is the solution to homelessness. Um, And what would we do if we were able to fund a framework to uh, provide the solution to homelessness? So this is where things started to get really exciting. Uh, This is where I personally have just been so re-energized and um, completely enthusiastic now about social bike going 100 miles an hour forward (laughs) as we always do. so it came back this study came back and basically said housing first is this housing model that's used nationwide in finland it's used statewide in places like utah and in medicine hat and canada and loads of other pockets across the us and canada and europe um and it's this really incredible housing model that's having wonderful success rates between like between like 70 and 90 percent success rates the state of utah in america had a 10-year housing first program that they funded from 2005 to 2015 and at the end of that um, that 10-year program they declared that they were 91 percent reduced in homelessness so it is amazing and it's not like they've just you know created housing and moved homeless people into this housing and then gone okay we've we've cleared homelessness up they've just literally you know, done that study over a 10 year, 10 year time frame. where at the end of 10 years, they've gone 10 years down the line, this is still working, we're still 91% reduced. Um, so with this information, we were like, wow, what can we do to make this happen in Scotland? And then sleep in the park happened. So as you said, that was where we had about 8,000 people come and sleep out right below Edinburgh Castle in the city centre of Edinburgh. We raised 4 million pounds and that has opened the door for us to lobby government to adopt this housing model as policy. So with with Sleep in the Park, we're basically funding and orchestrating the 800 homes campaign, not to be confused with the village, although the village is still happening and will provide support to a very specific um, community of homelessness. The 800 Homes campaign is completely different and we'll be focusing on housing people, integrating them into um, the city areas across Edinburgh, Glasgow, Dundee, Stirling and and that's going to be over the next year and a half we're going to be funding that and we're doing it with the help of Serenians, Crisis, Street Works, Turning Point, all of these incredible charities that have worked in homelessness for much longer than us. They're helping design the Housing First support system that is so crucial to making that housing sustainable. So that in short is what we've been up to and where we're at now.
0: <laughs> wow. And what what I mean what just strike there, there's a couple of things that really strike me here is you know you start you start off as a cafe
1: yeah that
0: is doing good and we're, we're talking I mean for anybody who isn't aware of social bite we're not talking over years of this happening. This has all happened quite quickly, hasn't it? Because when did you launch? When did yeah. Social Bite launch?
1: Yeah, we launched in 2012 and we expanded mm-hmm. to, we went from eight staff and one shop to um, seven or eight operating units with over a hundred staff in, I think that happened in about three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then more, yeah, so we're now into our... It'll be six years in August this year since we opened our first shop. And literally that was just Josh and I and his brother, Jack, um, painting the shop, putting in the electrics, uh, Mm -hmm. definitely doing some questionable paint work. (laughs) Um, And yeah, it's just, we've just been absolutely, we've been both crazy lucky and really supported by our customers and the public with our fundraising campaigns to allow us to do bigger and better things and help more and more people each year
0: yeah and so for just to clarify for people listening to this what is the structure of your business is is is, is it like a social enterprise a charity is it a group yeah. is it you know what is the structure of it
1: so it's it's essentially it's a social enterprise that's how we set it up mm-hmm. But then since then, because um they they now have the CIC um model oh, yes, that can be yeah. used for a social enterprise. But at the time they didn't have that. So we just registered ourselves as a limited company. Um and since then realized that as much as it would be nice for a social enterprise to pay for all of Scotland's um, homeless to eat every day, it's actually um, not advisable at board level for a limited company to be doing that or you'd just be in debt immediately. So we registered charity so that that charity could both fundraise but also pay for um, any of our food being distributed and support services that we're providing the homeless community every day so now we have the social bite fund which is the charity and that's like the parent that like owns the limited company so we have a charity board a limited company board but we also have home restaurant which has its own restaurants board um which also offers opportunities to people affected by homelessness to learn restaurant skills, chef skills. Um, And they also open the doors every week to the homeless community to come and sit in and have a restaurant experience and be waited on like like normal members of society rather than soup kitchens or church halls, which is also amazing initiatives, but it's nice to kind of feel part of society. So that's what the restaurant does as well. And then we have... um, yeah, the village, which essentially is sits under the fund.
0: Yeah. Okay, got you.
1: So there's kind of a complicated structure, but that's how we're a little family of different boards, basically. Which clearly works. <laughs> it does, it does. It's not without its complications in terms of like everyone trying to figure out where everything is, but we're getting really good at all of that now. So yeah. 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 It's been, Exciting! Getting
0: to I think I think a lot of of the support uh, and it must come from the fact that so many of us can just see the results you're getting and driving it forward. You know, Um, and without a doubt, you know what you do has inspired. It won't just be me; there'll be many, many others to Mm -hmm. do different things. So I mean, I can remember. Oh, it was I don't even know how many years ago it was. You know, seeing a little clip about on Christmas Eve. Um, mm. going out and giving homeless people food yeah, the streets and Princess Street yeah. and ever since then, each year I go out and I give chocolates, or so last year I was at, mm-hmm. you know, it, was, it was mince pies, I can't, you know, everything you know, and, and actually now I also, having seen and watched what you guys have been doing i just i just feel more comfortable now that i go up and have conversations with people that are sitting instead oh. of walking past or just giving them money you know oh, and it's those those com- conversations are precious so <laughs> you know the impact you have so, you know i quite often talk on this show about how do we measure the impact that we have but a lot of the time you just won't even know the impact you're having because you'll have people like me that have just <laughs> observed things from a distance that go out yeah. and do things because you've inspired us to do that
1: that so, is true it, it can, be quite intangible to to know what impact we've had um, in terms of all the people that might have been inspired to do their own good or to change their own attitudes towards homelessness. And I think it's massively helpful that we we were always very um, adamant that our stores would be very city center locations and always right next to our competitors so we couldn't afford the really good spots right right next to them but we could afford like around the corner and then we would just really be very um dogmatic and poach customers from right outside of competitors stores and uh and so that that's I think that those city center locations have really helped us to be taken seriously and people can see you know customers see homeless people coming in and eating and um, and you see people queuing to get in at four when we reopen exclusively for them. There's sometimes huge queues of people um, waiting to get in to, to have their social um, and food e- event with us. So um, I think that that's hopefully why people have been able to see the good that we're doing.
0: Yeah, yeah. And so what when you very first started out, what was it that had you choose homelessness as the that, social issue that you decided you know that you wanted to help tackle
1: yeah I think so I think that was just because for us coming back from Bangladesh I think we felt like the closest thing to that kind of poverty that is just completely unacceptable in the 21st century um because there's absolutely no need for there to be that kind of poverty we have the resources and the space on this planet to take care of everybody so I think we just felt like that kind of poverty is so unacceptable and homelessness was the next, you know, in Scotland, that was the closest form of poverty that we could see that just felt equally unacceptable. Um, and, you know, the thing that homeless people in Scotland have to deal with that somebody in Bangladesh might not have to deal with is the absolutely Deathly cold, cold winters that seem to last for six months at a time now, which is fantastic for us that live in Scotland. But um, mm. yeah, so I think that that was that we were. We also opened in August, and it was within about two or three months that we started thinking we should hire um, homeless people. So by then it was about November, and it was just so cold, and we literally we saw the big, the guys and the big issue. Right outside our shop and then there was somebody sitting on the corner of our street in the freezing cold shivering every day and um, I think it was just so obvious. We had just opened a cafe and it was right in front of us and we just thought mm-hmm. we're a social business. What, what's the point of us being here if we're not helping those people? Um,
0: which is beautiful you know when so many other places do quite frankly turn homeless people away which Mm. is you know to me is appalling um but actually uh, you know i I, i'm sure that so much of your success has come from the fact that you've had the courage to do what other people weren't willing to do a
1: hundred percent i think we were just i think we are seen as like the cowboys sometimes of the industry because (laughs) Josh and I were, like, like I was 21 when we opened the first store. Josh was 24 or something. We were just a pair of kids with, like, really naive, idealistic um, vision. So there's definitely been times that we've just done stuff that may or may not have been for the benefit of the company, but it was for the benefit of the person that it needed to help in that moment. And, um, and that was how we got stuff done. But I would say um, it's a really difficult one because – I also have like a lack of patience for businesses or companies that alienate homeless people, whether that's that they don't let them in or even a few years ago, there was an article in, I think it was in the Scotsman or something or in the Evening News in Edinburgh that um, that we were thinking about banning beggars from um, or I think the Edinburgh Council was thinking about banning beggars from city center so that we don't affect tourism and shoppers at Christmas time in order to boost the economy. Um, and we were, and I thought that was absolutely disgusting that we were going to try and clear the poorest people from the streets, so that we'd have to be burdened by knowing that there are poor people around us while we try and spend money in these establishments. But what I think I've, so I, I definitely felt that and I feel that, but I think what I'm, learning as I get older and the longer I spend in this sector of homelessness is that it's such a massive issue and actually it does affect people's sales if they have homeless people in and out of their shops because certain shops aren't made for people who have extremely challenging needs and who quite frankly are smelly and not Uh, very pleasant on the eyes for their shoppers I think people do want to shop guilt-free and businesses do need to thrive so I think what we need to realize is that homelessness is bigger than something that one company can do but it's a it's a government responsibility essentially to try to change the culture of a country enough that they would put their support and their money behind Mm. something like a housing first housing model that offers actual solutions to the problem. And, you know, you're never going to see an immediate change and, Oh good. Now there's no homeless people in the city center. So businesses can thrive in a way that maybe they felt affected before, which I mean, I don't know how much businesses are ever really affected by that, but, but if that was the angle they were going to take, then you wouldn't see an immediate effect of what you would see is maybe in 20 years time having, or, you know, Utah saw an effect in 10 years. If you really stick with something like that and you fund, um, an important initiative like that, that's actually going to make a difference to the system and the mindset of people by educating them or whatever that is, then you, you see, a big change in, in all of those things In all of these things that people don't People don't like things about homelessness Because it causes antisocial behaviour It's a lot of the time it's drug addicts It's yelling on the street It's violence It's all these things that people don't want to let their kids out of the house Because they're scared That people who come from disadvantaged backgrounds Will have some kind of effect on on them But there's a bigger picture I think to be had Rather than just trying to separate us
0: Yeah definitely and so, how do you balance the focus, you know, you, the, the focus of your attention in terms of income generation for the business plus versus impact? You know, the difference that you're having
1: with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not easy. Like, it's a constant discussion at board level, and um, it's a constant discussion in social bite's head office. You know, essentially. We have well we do have different times that people can come in, so during you know twelve till two is our particularly busy time, and we need all of our staff to be focused on providing the best service possible to the paying customer because essentially the paying customer is keeping our doors open, so they need to be center of attention, they need to be getting quick service with a smile so between you know the lunch period, which is our peak time the The homeless community now knows from several years of doing it this way that they don't come into the shops during those times because that's when we need to be go, go, go. Um, so on other ends of that, they come in and, um, so that kind of helps a little bit that customers can come in during lunch without, um, you know, some kind of debacle ensuing because, you know, maybe a couple of homeless guys have come in a bit drunk or whatever. But that is a very real challenge. We have to deal with that in the mornings and in the afternoons. Um, and I think we're, I mean, considering we've just opened the doors to all of Scotland's homelessness, um, it's surprising how few incidents have actually happened. And what we found is that actually when we, when the staff who were amazing – just treat people with compassion, listen a little bit. And if they're being loud or they're being unruly, ask them nicely to leave, but maybe come back tomorrow once they're a bit more sober or something. It's amazing how effective that is and how mm. manageable that is. These is. They're just people. And they know that, I think they know social bite is for them as well. So they all have a little bit of respect for it because I think they feel sidelined by the rest of society most of the time. You know, whether that's that, of people that walk past them every day ignore them when they're asking for change or whether that's that they can't go into pubs to use the bathroom because they're smelly or whatever it is so I think to have a place where they feel welcome is something that they um, know to take care of and respect and it's very rare that we do have issues but it is you know a real challenge for the business and there isn't a right answer as of yet it's just constant discussion and re-evaluation and communicating with the, the homeless customers to see if they're getting the best service possible because the problem as well is that if we're open for business and we're trying to serve customers but a homeless person turns up and you know is on drugs or is struggling with mental health or depression or suicidal thoughts they can't get the one-to-one attention that they need if we are trying to run a business at the same time. So there's also discussion about us separating the times, but using the same venue and yeah, we're just rolling with the punches and just (laughs) our whole thing is like, we'll figure it out as we go along, because as we go along, we'll learn what's best and we'll keep adjusting constantly. We never really arrive at one final point. We just think constantly, how do we help the most people most effectively with the most compassion at any one time and then we do that
0: yeah it's lovely to have compassion as the barometer for what we do isn't it it really is and i mean i know that over the years you've you've had um quite a few famous celebrities pop in
1: yeah yeah
0: (laughs) which I'm sure many of our listeners would love to have experienced for themselves can you you let us know how how did those instances happen because you've had George Clooney Leonardo DiCaprio and more recently Harry and Meghan yeah among others How, how, how have you found yourself in that position
1: so that was really like a an amazing stroke of luck or um some kind of strange fate we've So we, when we were doing the events business before social bite, we had the Scottish business awards, which I mentioned about earlier. And that, that essentially led us to Bangladesh to meet Muhammad Yunus, um, which inspired us to open social bite in the first place. But it also ended up inadvertently being, you know, originally when we started the, the Scottish business awards, there was never any plan for social bite whatsoever. We were just an events company, but as the years went on, the Scottish Business Awards, we did it once, then we launched Social Bite, and we kept doing the business awards. We sold the ski show event, but we kept doing the awards because it was all for profit. Sorry, no, it was all not for profit. It was all for charity. So it sat well with our reviews. Um, and it was a great platform for us to promote Social Bite to the business community, um, and do some fundraising because we had, you know, like Scotland's most elite, richest businessmen in one room and women. Sorry, gosh, what am I saying? <laughs> and women um, in one room, and then you know we would tell them about Social Bite and ask them to donate generously. So that both helped us expand Social Bite, but also um, at the, the business awards we would invite, you know, people like first of all, it was Bob Geldof, then it was President Clinton, then it was. Richard Branson, then it was George Clooney, and then it was Leonardo DiCaprio. So it was just that by the last couple of years, we got smart, and um, and we just roped into their contracts. Like, oh, by the way, you must, you know, we have them for the whole day, so you must also mm-hmm. pop into Social Bite during the day and meet some of our the staff and have pictures there. And that was where the press would be waiting to see them. So. You know, what was actually George Clooney and Leonardo DiCaprio um, coming over to speak at the Scottish Business Awards um, ended up very cleverly being marketed as, you know, as if George Clooney was just in LA one day and heard, oh, I... I need to go over to Socialbite and, you know, shed light on this amazing charity. That was how the press kind of wrote it up, which was great. (laughs) Um, But we had no control of that. That was just, you know, the way it came out in the end. So I think George Clooney and Leonardo DiCaprio put us on the map. And then after that, Harry and Meghan just got in touch with us off their own back. They said, we're coming to Edinburgh. We want to come in and see the store and hear about what you guys are doing. Um... So we've just been really lucky, but also we've been very clever at making sure that we use our resources to the best of our abilities. And the Scottish business awards isn't something that we do anymore. Um, You know, we did sleep in the park last year sort of instead um, because that more aligns with where we're at now and what our values are. But um, the Scottish business Awards was always for charity and George Clooney and Leonardo DiCaprio don't charge. They just say, okay, so this is my charity. This is the charity that I raise millions of pounds for every year. And this is how much you have to pay that charity in order to have me for a night. So Mm -hmm. the whole thing just worked really well. Um, Yeah. That's how we tricked you all into thinking that George Clooney and Laura DiCaprio are our best friends. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. You did it
1: very, very well. Thank you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh dear so you did and so you've alluded to I mean all the way through this conversation and actually before I even go on to this next question I think it's really good that you acknowledge how smart you've been and what you've been doing as well because a lot of this has been the way you've been doing things for the last you know over the last few you know quite a number of years that have all come together which is it's, it's great to just hear that you know you padding out I guess how things have happened in my mind you know um it's it's really really interesting so You've obviously had the support of a lot of businesses. Was was the was the Scottish Business Awards and the Sleep in the Park? Was that the main way that you really got the support? Or actually, I suppose you've also mentioned, you know, that you're in a very prominent position in city centres, so you're very yeah. visible as well. Is there anything else you've been doing to engage businesses to get their support of you?
1: Yeah, just I mean, so before we even opened the the shop on Rose Street, we had a we just started as a trolley service um, at the beginning of two thousand and twelve, and like, February, we started um, making sandwiches from home and packaging them up and taking it out on a trolley. And Josh would drop me and my f- amazing friend Lucy off um, outside – of offices that we we just phoned around as many offices as we could and said would you let us in to come and sell sandwiches and it's a great you know for an office it's like well that's a nice thing to do for our staff so they don't have to go out for lunch if they don't want to a trolley will just wander around the office and sell them as and when they want um, their lunch so you know but me and Lucy could only really get around so many offices um, between the hours of like nine and two um, so we, that was how, you know, we started by having quite a good connection with a few wee businesses. Um, well, I say wee businesses like Amazon's cool center in Edinburgh city center or Microsoft's office. And um, these are some of the people that, or um, yeah, lots of businesses that supported us right in the early days and let us come in with the trolley. And from there, we realized that corporate catering was a thing. So we opened our store and we started doing the occasional platter for meetings and things. And then from there, it was, okay, let's social. Josh and I have always just, and Josh, I I have to give the credit for this, just um, believes in just really hard work. So picking up the phone, every second of the day, you know, sort of like um, in the pursuit to happiness with Will Smith, Mm. he he's in, and he realizes that if you don't hang up the, I love that part of the movie where he realizes that if he doesn't hang up the phone and then pick up, pick the phone up again to redial the next number, he say, he was able to make about an extra seven phone calls a day or something like that. (laughs) That was the kind of attitude that Josh trained me with when I was a 19 year old student, when I met him, when, we first started out in events, so we were picking up the phones and phoning around every business we could find on Google and just trying to speak to the right person, but trying to not sound like you were cold calling, like trying to have an actual conversation with these people and build actual partnerships with people. And we did the same thing with social bites. So it was phoning every company in Edinburgh that we could see that we would walk around, you know, um, office areas and write down every office that we could find would go up to buzzers and write down every company that was in that block. We would, google and phone and email and write letters just trying to get people to use us for corporate catering and it was like you know it's really simple we'll employ the homeless people we'll give the money to charity we'll make you look good for your csr all you have to do is buy your lunch from us instead of whoever it is you're buying your lunch from right now and um that has been really an integral part of social bite success has been the corporate support that we've had in that sense um even the sleep in the park, we couldn't have done that without having done the CEO's sleep out first the year before, um, which was a much smaller event on Charlotte Square in Edinburgh. But um, that came from having contacts, uh, sorry, having contacts from the business awards a few years ago, you know, having done the business awards five times, we had good contacts there, but also the support from the corporate community for using our lunches. Um, so yeah, there's just really hard graft and just like, it's, it's funny because we get a lot of people getting in touch with us that are very lovely, sweet people, but they'll write emails and things saying, you know, I want to open up something like Social Byte in this place where I'm from. How did you do it? How did you get this? How did you get that? And it's just so funny because I spent my time replying to these people and trying to offer advice as to what we've done, but also it's like you know, we just worked really hard to find all this stuff out mm-hmm. ourselves. And it's going to be different wherever you are. And you just have to start phoning around and not expecting to have like a perfect business plan or a perfect intro to someone. Just test the water and see what happens. And if you make a mistake or you burn a bridge, learn that lesson and try again somewhere else. That's really been a big part yeah. of it.
0: And, you know, and that's a really good lesson for so many people in business to hear because so many people want it to be easy, yeah um, and
1: or, or just yeah. to have like a finished product to go to people with and i think yeah. i started to realize that like we just we just aren't ever going to have a finished product
0: no and you're also a great example of you know there's people who do business I'm, I'm all for i used to be a trainer for business gateway and you know you teach people about business planning and having a business plan is brilliant but You've got to get out from behind the plan.
1: Mm. And actually,
0: a lot of the time, it's about going out and doing exactly what you've been talking about, going out and speaking to people, picking up the phone, and also allowing your business to evolve, as you guys have done brilliantly, Mm. to what people are wanting you know yeah. and what, where you see a need and you're you know there's a, a plan is only one part of it the other part of it is about how we actually live in the real world and engage with what's happening and what's needed right in front of our very eyes
1: yeah and
0: what we think we need to do yeah oh so, um oh my god i could speak to you for hours alice but i do want <laughs> to respect your time here <laughs> oh, so thank I, got, you. I just got another couple of questions before we, we yeah. hang up here i'd love to know how has Setting up social bite changed you as a person
1: uh well, it's made me even more lefty <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, politically speaking um it's really the last little while, especially has really done a lot for my professional confidence um it's changed the way that I relate to other people, I think um and it's completely changed the way i see homeless people as well it's like it reminds me of that the way i feel about homeless people um or criminals even in our society is the way that finland and um more sort of netherlands look at criminals and i read this the other day they look at criminals not as criminals but they look at them as citizens in need of services because they consider it that if that citizen has committed that crime or has behaved that way or has ended up homeless our society has failed them and they therefore require further services that our society should pay for to change their life for the better and i think that's my philosophy now with my approach to vulnerable people in our society rather than being a little bit intimidated by them, which is what I think I was before. So there's so many ways, so many ways. Everyone should start a social business. It does so many amazing things for you.
0: It does, doesn't it? And that's the thing. I talk about that quite a bit with, you know, volunteering and, you know, I've done a lot of humanitarian mm-hmm. work out in Rwanda. And you, when, wow. you're, when you do this kind of stuff, you think you're going to help them. Actually, the greatest gift is <laughs> yes. it's, when, when you it's have so a, with an open heart, you know, yeah. and you just partner and treat these people as human beings. Yeah you come away with the biggest gifts.
1: Absolutely. Uh,
0: you know, it flows in that direction. So um, so if there was a way, you know, if people want listening to this, want to support Social Bite or get involved and reach out, what's the best way they can do that?
1: So you can support us by, if you're under 16 or if you have under 16 year olds, you can have them take part in the We Sleep Out, which we're launching this year. Um, Probably oh, launching Oh, and that's like a sleep in the park but for under 16s they go and plan their own they hold it themselves um and i'm really excited to be launching that this year um if you're over 16 you can come and take part in the sleep in the park again this year which is going to be really exciting it's going to be bigger and better this year but i can't talk about the details of that just yet it's launching next month um and it or you can donate um but above all of that, if you just want to keep up with us, you can go find us on Twitter. On Twitter, we're socialbyte underscore and on instagram we're social underscore bite which is annoying We should probably just be the same thing on both but and then on (laughs) facebook you can just find us on facebook by typing in social bite so yeah that's that's how you can find us and support us and thank you so much to everybody for listening to me rambling for so long at a time
0: (laughs) oh no you've had so much really really um so much information and insight and knowledge and experience to share with us so thank you so much for your time alice it's been an absolute delight i've really enjoyed speaking to you thank
1: you so much for having me on it's been an absolute pleasure oh
0: brilliant so thanks to you for tuning in and listening to us have this conversation remember to check out givetoprofit.com or alison.com for the full show notes plus the links to social bite that alice has shared there with us here today and if you would like to learn how to raise funds for a charity or social cause through your business in a way that's ethical easy and complies with cause marketing legislation remember to check out the give to profit fundraising challenge it's an online challenge you can join anytime with a mix of online training lessons a forum and support from me during live q and a calls so again you can find details of that in the show notes so until next time remember business is a great opportunity to be kind Thanks for listening to the Give to Profit podcast. You'll find full show notes for today's show at givetoprofit.com where you can also check out how to join the Give to Profit member community, a special place that you can connect with Alison and other like-minded business owners and entrepreneurs running businesses that are both profitable and doing good in the world. Or you can join the Gift to Profit Fundraising Challenge to learn how to incorporate fundraising into your business and marketing in ways that are effective, legal and grow your business. To find out more, go to gifttoprofit.com. And if you don't already have a copy of Alison's book, Gift to Profit, How to Grow Your Business by Supporting Charities and Social Causes, remember you can get a copy on Amazon and the book depository around the world.